And then there's the whole self-sabotage, right? Where when something good happens, really your entire being is screaming at you saying something bad's about to happen. So then we say, well, if I make something bad happen, then I have some kind of control. And of course, this is all in the subconscious, right? Of course. <laughs> so then we say, well, if I make something bad happen, then at least I have some control over that. Right. And so that that control, that perceived control then calms down the the trauma. Yeah. Because trauma is about removing your control. So then, okay, so I can, I'll be less traumatized. So that'll feel good because I'll have control and I'll cause the havoc. So that'll feel good. And we trick ourselves into this heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching trauma and self-sabotage. Right. You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. My guest today is Jewel Colwell Bolt. I connected with Jewel through her page, Art of Onward, on Instagram. A certified trauma coach with specific discipline in the RIM method, Jewel has personally experienced betrayal, trauma, and narcissistic abuse. This is the first episode of a two-part experience. As you listen to my conversation with Jewel, listen for healing, hope, and faith. It's all here right now, right here in the Trauma Hiders Club. So tell me, what are you listening to on repeat on your playlist? Oh, that's a good question, Karen. Okay. So I just actually came across this maybe a week, maybe two weeks ago. And it is this incredible 8D spatial music. I've heard it. Yes. By Gray Moore. And so I, I found her on Instagram and then I went hunting for her on YouTube. And then I was so excited that I found her on YouTube. I shared it to my Facebook group so everyone else there could, because I listened to it and I felt like my brain was getting a massage, like from the inside yeah. out. It felt so good. So you have to listen with headphones. Yes. Yeah. And then now I've got my husband listening to it. So I'm just like, I'm just pushing gray more everywhere. <laughs> she doesn't even know me. <laughs> for you. Mm -hmm. What does that, uh, what is it called? 
I think it's called HB spatial, but I could be wrong. I'm yeah, not sure. I don't remember if it's like diurnal or I forgot what it is, but <sighs> yeah, it basically it fires left brain, right brain, left left, left brain, yes. right brain. For you, like, what is the sensation? What does it do for you? Mm, what does it do for me? Incredibly relaxing for me, even though I'm a trauma coach and this is my work and and everything. I still have my moments, right? Where I'm triggered. And it was, it was the same day actually that I found that song. So it all, I I love how things always just all fit together in perfect timing. It was that night, something just, and I don't remember what it was as is so often the case with triggers, but I just remember being agitated and very frustrated. And I just thought, well, Jewel, you found the song today find your headset. I don't usually do headsets. So I put them in and I listened and I just listened. And then I did a repeat because I hadn't found her on iTunes yet. So I was still just doing the the YouTube 10 minute. So I just had it on repeat for about half an hour. And after that, my heart rate was just, Mm -hmm. and I was, and then I just rolled over and went to sleep and it was just so calming. And there's something about well, like I said, it's like a massage, but not just that. It's like a, it's like a comfort. Like it, I just felt like it gave me comfort. Yeah. The first time I listened at first during the first listen, I got a little bit dizzy and oh. I did. I felt a little bit dizzy. And then as I continued to listen, this is through the first listen, it brought me back to my EMDR experience. Uh, And so for me, like I could feel that wash of right brain firing, left brain firing. I'm okay. These are my, you know, I'm safe. These are my safe places, safe people, safe resource, all of it. And um, it felt like, (laughs) uh, you know how I forgot what the people have Is it high colonics. It's like when people want to do intestinal cleansing is disgusting. Okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, like people do intestinal cleansing. I, I'm so glad I'm bringing up like how to really cleanse your internal ass. But (laughs) I felt like my brain space was cleared out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Like a duster just taken out the webs. And I, I too, I've been listening to it on a daily basis. There's a short one. And I'm glad to know that there's something on iTunes because I find myself craving more. Yes. Yeah. So she's um, this particular artist has done a few others that I don't bond with them the same as I do with the slow version of that one. I can't remember now what it's called. I feel bad. It's just so beautiful. What remind me? What's her name? Gray Moore, G-R-A-E-M-O-O-R-E. Okay. We'll, We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. I love that you're listening to that. Mm-hmm. So listeners know this. I found Jewel. We connected on Instagram and I had been following Art of Onward, which is one of Jewel's Instagram handles. I had been following that for a while and clearly the content started speaking to me. And when that happens, I think, huh, I kind of want to learn more about the person and what they're up to and why is it that this is speaking to me? Um, so 
we have never met in person. We have not been, a lot of my guests have been in like masterminds with me or various things. This is our first time actually meeting, but I, I feel like we met a long time ago already. Yeah. So with as much as you are comfortable or mm-hmm. however you want to be, yeah. can you tell us what happened in the summer of 2015? <laughs> yeah. I give you the long version or the short version. I, I feel like I should be concise to speak. How about giving us the necessary version? Yeah. So one day I had been preparing the house for sale. We were supposed to be moving to LA. My oldest daughter was 17 at the time and was supposed to be going to college down there. And so the whole family was going to go down because she was so young still when she graduated high school. And so we had, there was this whole plan that we were working toward. Um, So I had been painting and fixing up the house and everything while my then husband was at work. And I was so focused on that, that I didn't notice just how bad things had gotten. Mm. But then at the same time, looking back, I know they were bad for a very, very long time, because I remember probably 10 years prior, talking to my mom on the phone and saying, I'm just so lonely. Mm. I'm just so lonely. And I remember spending a lot of those 10 years thinking, it's like he's a brother living here with me. Like it was anyway. So um, that's just kind of the the feelings part. And then in July, the day before, the day before the real estate agent was coming to list the house, day before it was a Friday, he said, we need to talk. And there was something about, I have, I've always had a really strong intuitive part of me. And I just knew, I just knew. And then I sat there for a good solid, I don't know, half an hour while he tried to amp up the courage to turn all our lives completely upside down, inside out. So he came out as being a sex addict. And that had been something that I thought we had dealt with when we first got married. And he went in, he got the EMDR and he got all the help and nobody actually really helped me. So I Mm kind of clawed my way back into that. And I decided that based on him getting help and based on him, you know, really putting in the effort. And there had been one time where I knew something was wrong and I actually called his therapist and I said, I need you to talk to him. And he did. And then he lied to her. And then he got very angry with me. And I was sitting there actually with a newborn in my arms. And I was like, okay, all right. So this is interesting. What do I do? And I remember the moment where I said, do I believe him or do I not believe him? And it was like, looking back, I mean, this is now like 24, 25 years ago. I remember the moment in my brain, something clicked and it was like a switch that turned off and decided to live in denial. Mm -hmm. And that denial then kept me there and kept me on this path of thinking so many things. I mean, thinking so many things and thinking every time there was a problem, it was me. And then, right. And so it's very insidious what happens when you're, when you're with a narcissist and an addict at the same time, it's all very tiny tidbits, right? So it's so interesting to me because I, I talk to a lot of men and women, mostly women. And and they're like, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not that cliche abused. Like I'm opinionated, I'm vibrant, I'm strong, I'm out there, I'm em- empathetic, I'm compassionate, I'm kind, I'm helpful, I'm generous, I'm all these things. How did this happen to me? I'm not that weak doormat, right? In quote unquote, right? Just I'm definitely not victim shaming anybody ever. But that is the conversation that I've had so many times, right? Where people are like, but I'm not that woman that you would imagine. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think many of us actually are. Yeah. It would be like getting in a significant car crash and saying, but I'm a good driver. When meanwhile, the person coming at you caused the crash. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You are prepared for life. You can't control what's the force coming at you. Yeah, exactly. And that whole prepared for life, that's exactly it, right? We make a promise and we we intend to keep it. Right. Yeah. At that point, you said that you were compartmentalized. Well, you didn't say compartmentalized, but you chose to deny. Way, way back. Oh, okay. Yeah. The day that I called his therapist and I knew he was lying to me. Okay. And I just told myself, I'm going to believe him. Okay. So yeah. fast forward to 2015. That's Is that when you left, when you separated? No, that's when he came out and said that that was actually a lie and he had never stopped. And so he had had this whole I existence see. that caused so many issues for me, for my girls, for our family, our family unit, because unfortunately, these types of addictions, they cause a lot of entitlement, they cause a lot of anger outbursts and moodiness and Mm. um, escapism, a lot of escapism. So for a long time, I really felt like I was a single mom with my girls, at least yeah. emotionally. Anyway, yeah. So he came out that day and told me about all of everything. Well, I thought it was all of everything. And then about a month later, so I went into shock. Yeah. Just so you know, mm-hmm. I'd imagine. Yeah. I went into complete and utter shock. I wasn't quite ready to really understand all the ramifications. But my entire everything, like I wasn't able to eat for, I think, two or three days, like straight, nothing. I wasn't able to sleep. I just Mm -hmm. sat outside. And then I found myself in that hole. If I slip, now I know what was happening at the time I didn't. But if if I slide over to left brain and get information, I'll get as much information as I can, then maybe I can make sense of it. But there is no making sense of it. And Mm. again, I've had people ask me so many times, how do I make sense of it? And I, you know what, you're not going to, because you have compassion, you have empathy, you have a conscience, you have a moral compass that you want to stick to. You have all those things within you. They don't. And that's hard, right? That's hard to accept. And so I remember looking back and having just a gazillion aha moments. Like, oh, that's, oh, that's why. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you still have those sort of like, oh, wait, that was, I mean, this is, this is seven years later or. Yeah, this is seven years later. No, actually, I think more of my aha moments in the past year have been about childhood Mm. and upbringing traumas that 
I knew were there, but I, again, hadn't really understood the full realm of ramifications it's had on my life, my choices, the fact that I end up marrying somebody who allowed my nervous system to feel safe in that state, right? right? Because that was home for me. The more I learn, the more I understand. And then the more work I do, the more free I become. Nice. I love that. So I learned a new term, new phrase, and that was betrayal trauma. Uh So that's what this was. This was your betrayal. Yeah. Yeah. On top of narcissist trauma and all that emotional. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So now I understand what betrayal trauma is. Is it something that people like come forward with and say, here's what I need support in is betrayal trauma. Is that like a known phrase or is that something that you call your experience? I wish when I was talking to women, they would say I need help with betrayal trauma. Yeah. And that's actually why I spoke the words that I spoke because I had just, again, been on the phone with someone and it's heartbreaking to me. Most women that I talk to, I ask them, do you know how many times he's cheated on you and, or with how many people Mm. and they don't, they don't. And it's so normalized for them. It's, it's almost like they're, I mean, most people are just completely numb when they talk about that because they have done on a different level, on a different scale, what I did for 20 years that nearly killed me. They, they have lit, they have numbed themselves Mm -hmm. enough so that they can survive and continue in their life in this perceived comfort zone, right? It's not actually comfortable, but it's safe on an, a nervous system level. So they stay and they adjust according to what needs to be adjusted so that they can continue to stay. And the men are doing whatever. Now, okay, I understand this is also, I've talked to many men as well and women are doing the same thing. It's just, mm-hmm. I talked to more women. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how, I mean, I, I get why they call it a nervous system, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only is it our nerves and our chemicals firing, but isn't that interesting that we can choose high firing um, dopamine hit of discomfort, like that becomes a steady state. And, And we choose that over peace because that becomes peace. Yeah. Right? Like... What I'm about to say, I don't know that this is necessarily true of me anymore. However, I have this experience of if it's not chaotic, if it's not on the edge, if I'm not hiding something, if I'm not, if there isn't potential danger there, I'm going to create shit that Mm -hmm. brings that. Uh Huh? Because you're kind of bored. Yeah. With the safe. Yeah. I'm bored with safe. I'm bored with peace. I'm bored with quiet. In fact, quiet unto itself is a trigger for me. Hmm. I'm learning about that. Yeah. Have a lot, a great white noise machine, but yeah, yeah, when it's okay up until, I don't know, for the vast majority of my life, when it when things felt like they might be okay, I had to insert all sorts of 
shit storm. Yeah. To make it not that way. Well, I mean, there are so many reasons for that, right? That's right. You're first of all, you're used to whatever stimuli you had previously that you right. want to kind of keep that because it makes life interesting and right. And then there's the whole self-sabotage, right? Where when something good happens, really your entire being is screaming at you saying something bad's about to happen. So then we say, well, if I make something bad happen, then I have some kind of control. And of course, this is all in the subconscious, right? Of course. (laughs) So then we say, well, if I make something bad happen, then at least I have some control over that. Right. And so that that control, that perceived control then calms down the the trauma because trauma is about removing your control. So then, okay, so I can, I'll be less traumatized. So that'll feel good because I'll have control and I'll cause the havoc. So that'll feel good. And we trick ourselves into this heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching trauma and self-sabotage. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of like the easiest example of just being in high school and procrastinating. (laughs) right? I didn't know at the time, oh, right, this is me wanting more of my steady state of chaos and swirling and spinning out. I didn't know, you know, when I was 17 years old that that's what I was doing, but that's what I was doing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then you just tell yourself, oh, I work well under pressure. That's right. That's clearly the thing. I must, I do my best work under pressure. (laughs) I think I remember saying that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah. My parents would say, don't you have any work? And I would say, that's oh, okay. Like I got it under control. And I proved many times that I did not, but that was okay too for them. Like it was my life. So yeah, really interesting. Something that I'm curious about, mm-hmm. there's something that you said on your website and it's that you lost yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, that is a phrase that many of us have thought about ourselves, have heard others use, we may have used it too, just to kind of bring people to center around what it is to lose yourself. If we had like streaming video of you losing yourself or having lost yourself, what does that look like? Mm. Isn't that interesting? I actually just spoke about this in my Facebook group a, a couple of weeks ago. I was talking about how over time we take pieces of ourselves and we say, you're not going to be okay with what's happening here. So I'm going to put you on the shelf mm-hmm. and then something else happens. You're not going to be okay with what's happening here. I'm putting you in the drawer because mm-hmm. you definitely shouldn't be anywhere close. Um, and so we continue to do that with the ultimate goal of survival and we call it coping strategies and you know we're all look how strong i am but really what's happening to many of us is we're taking those pieces and we're spreading them throughout we're not even putting them all in the same place so they're kind of hard to find later right and then you know all of a sudden like in 2015 you look back and you go whoa excuse me I did all this for this. And now I find out it's all been a lie. It's all been like the long con. Right. And there's, there's a little bit of, or a lot for some of us, anger 
that comes, but I took pieces off of myself and I put them in that drawer and I kept them there. And I even allowed myself to forget that they were there for you, for this. Mm-hmm. You can't say no to, you know, whatever it is you're not saying no to. Yeah. And that's hard. Right. So we put them there for good reason, right? Like I'm in touch with myself enough. I have enough self-awareness to know this part of me can't be in this conversation or this part of me can't be in this intimacy yeah. with, or this part of me can't even show up at a play in public with this person, right? Yeah. And it's almost as if while you were at each of those places or doing each of those things, somebody removed that piece of furniture, right? Like if you put it in a drawer or somebody took the shelves away and like donated them and you don't even know where they are now. Yes. Yes. And I I would love to take it one step further. So we were just talking about betrayal trauma. So now we've doubled it Mm -hmm. because unfortunately we've betrayed ourselves. Yes. And that is where the different layers of healing are so, so important because we're not just talking about what someone else did. We're talking about, we're dealing, trying to deal with and heal what we've done to ourselves. Mm, Got it. So now we've got betrayal trauma on two different dimensions here. Right. We were betrayed and then Mm -hmm. the betrayal of self. Yeah. So in order to regain, reunite, or possibly even rewrite you, how did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) That is a good question. So (laughs) how did I do that? Okay. So first I went into therapy Mm -hmm. and then I went into couples therapy with him and I was doing both. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like I said, I, I just didn't know. I mean, now that he's come clean, he says he's sorry and everything, you know, maybe, maybe. And I was in so much shock that I didn't know what to do. So I was like, okay, well, no one's going to tell me what my decision needs to be. I need to have that decision come intrinsically from myself. Because again, my intuitive sense has always been really strong. And I'm like, no, this is something I need to come to a decision I need to come to. But in the meantime, here I am not eating. I'm waking up in like a mm. clutched, everything is clenched and, you know, my, my fists are clenched. My jaw is clenched. I'm grinding my teeth. This is how I'm, I'm waking up in a tight ball of tense muscles every morning. So, so much going on there. So I knew that I needed to somehow change that, but I didn't know how. So I, I did therapy and then I did couples therapy. And then I did another type of therapy. So I done like three. And I, I tried and I kept saying to them, I need something more. There has to be something more. This is not enough for me. And apparently at the time, according to some therapists that I've spoken to, and I could be wrong, but betrayal trauma was actually not a thing at that time. So they weren't aware or it wasn't in a book or whatever. So. I tried and I spent so much money mm-hmm. <laughs> on therapy and I did the work. I did all the work I was told to do. And then I started to think, well, maybe there's someone online 
Mm. So I began to hunt for help online. And all I found there, I remember this one group, this one forum I found. Now, keeping in mind, this is seven years ago. Instagram wasn't where it's at now. Um, awareness wasn't where it's at right now. I don't even think really the, the term narcissist even was a thing that I connected to. Because I just immediately went to the addict and then thought, if we can fix that, we can fix it, right? How can I fix it? How can I fix it? <laughs> um, yeah. So I found this one forum and, and I went in there and all I found, oh my goodness, was so much anger, mm. so much anger and hurt. And they were, it was like the different people writing in there were actually perpetuating and feeding it. So I thought, well, this is the one thing I have found that you know, I can go in. So I thought, I'm going to go in, I'm going to read what everyone else is experiencing, because that will maybe help me. Um, and I was told that would help me. So I'm like, okay, well, I'll do this. But every time I went on there, I just became angrier. And I became more upset and agitated. And then that night, I for sure wouldn't sleep at all, not even that little half hour that sometimes I was lucky to get. So then I was lost, honestly, and I just I, I just didn't really know where to turn. So I began to find other courses that I began to take. And that made sense for that part. And that made sense for that part. And I'm a very spiritual person. So then I also needed that to be replenished. Mm. So then I I went and, and I studied with the Life Mastery Institute. And then I was also really interested in the neuroscience. So then I studied a lot and bought some courses from John Asaraf and from Neurogym. And then I um, was really interested in the male brain and how was this possible to behave this way for that long and be okay with it. So then I found another coach out there his name was Jason Gaddis, I believe, G-A-D-D-I-S. And I bought courses from him specifically studying the male brain because I just I just didn't understand how someone with apparently who has a soul could do this. So I was like, okay, well, explain it to me. Just somebody explain it to me. And then I was curious about relationships. So then I bought a whole bunch of courses on relationships. And so there were little tidbits here and there. And a lot of the tidbits were actually just from me sitting outside in the middle of the night, tears streaming down my face, begging God for just something, mm. just something. And then what actually a lot of what what I received in those moments, just the, the, the healing and the comfort I now share with my clients and they get to receive it too. But I had to go through the mud and through the hell and the fire so that I'm able to really tap into that. And that's just the very, um, the very spiritual part of me was open to just different types of, I guess, inspiration that came to me. Hmm. And I know it sounds a little woo woo, but no, no all good. <laughs> All good. <laughs> Along those lines of your, so your own experience, what you learned, all of the trainings that you took. Now you do work as a certified trauma and recovery coach, trauma recovery coach, right? Not trauma and trauma recovery right. coach. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's different. Yeah. And because recovery tends to have people think addiction. Yeah. We are actually kind of more moving toward trauma informed or trauma healing. Got it. So basically, if you've experienced trauma, 
give me eight weeks of your life and we'll get you on that path. Nice. You said you have a group in Facebook on Facebook. Is that a trauma recovery focus? Yes. And what's the name of that group? Heal and Rebuild After Trauma. Does someone have to be your client or have gone through some program? Not at all. Yeah. Awesome. No, it's it's actually, we invite people on Instagram. I have a virtual assistant. She helps me sometimes when I'm not able to get there quick enough. And the two of us, we just say, you know what? If you want to go deeper, come over here. We go a little bit deeper. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And is it a conversation or do you have live sessions? What happens there? Um, so I come in and do live sessions, not sessions, but basically I come in and I share a moment of inspiration or a moment of motivation. Like today, I actually went in and I spoke about the power of the pause Mm. and how powerful that can be. And then how we can use that time to really gain clarity, gain calm, even stillness maybe for some of us. And then while we're in that state, then we can have creative thought and we can have problem solving thoughts that come to us because now we're not in fight, flight, freeze, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, Got it. Yeah. So basically kind of like teaching, like going in and just teaching people whatever it is that I can. And yeah. Yeah. How nice. And people ha- get to have the experience of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nice. And I'm an open book. So <laughs> Ask me anything. Yeah. 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 Nice. When people have the experience of you, what can they do next? Or do you do group work? Do you do one on one? Yeah. Well, so far, all my work has been one on one. Okay. A number of clients have been so nervous about even just meeting me Mm. that they actually keep their camera off for our first session. Yeah. So I'm here to eliminate stress and to heal and make it as easy as possible. So, so far it has always been one-on-one and then we gently prepare the nervous system for the change that we're going to bring in. And we just, it's a very specific process and it's the same one that saved my own life. Mm-hmm. And, and all those, you know, all those courses I told you I took and all the therapy that I went to, what I've done is I've basically taken bits and pieces and I put everything that worked into an eight-week program. And everything else that didn't work, we're just going to not waste time and energy. We don't, us trauma survivors, we don't have a lot of time and energy to spare. We're exhausted. We're tired. So we want to do the work that actually helps and that actually takes us somewhere. And so that's what I do. And not only about the time, we also, we don't have the space Mm. to do work other than the sacred work of healing, right? The trauma recovery. Yeah. We don't need more experiences, more experiences that might add additional traumas on top of our own. they're, They're everywhere. We don't need that shit. Exactly. And actually that just brought a memory back to me. So I was told to join some support groups with other women in my situation. This was very gender specific. Mm -hmm. So it was women. And I went in there and being the empath, (laughs) and I tried two different ones. And one I kept going back to because it was therapist led and everything. And no one actually tapped into the fact that I am such an empath. 
that as I was sitting there broken apart and completely in trauma state, I couldn't speak. I just sat there with tears streaming down my face because now I didn't just feel mine. I felt every single person. I can't do, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. And everyone just thought, wow, you're just so hurt. How did you get so hurt? I'm like, well, actually, because I cared, one. And two, because I'm feeling all of you, and it's just too much for me. So, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, and a lot of the people I work with actually are also empaths. Mm. And it's very interesting to me how um, narcissists really tap into that because they don't have it, right? So they tap into that whole compassion and and empathy and kindness. They don't. Yeah. And I think like for those of us who have, for my listeners, for these listeners mm-hmm. in this community, I believe all of us have that sort of heightened sense, right? Through our hypervigilance, which yeah. then I think opens us up to empathy, mm-hmm. which then mm-hmm. opens us up to connecting even if we've been hiding our shit but we see it in other people right i think yes. that these experiences open us up to that empathy yeah i think they can for yeah, a they can. Type they of don't person. Have, they can also yeah. shut us up shut all doors to and all access it's interesting to me i've seen some people really turn incredibly selfish in their survival mode and and nothing's coming through there right now. So I just think they need more time. Yeah, interesting. So tell me, what are you most excited about in your world right now? Oh, well, it's interesting that you asked about the group format because I have been really looking at combining, you know, maybe a group of five at a time. And working with them and allowing them the experience of I'm not fully isolated in this situation. Because I remember feeling that way myself. I really thought I was the only person in the whole wide world who was this broken and this like gone. <laughs> like yep. I was gone. And so I, I think there is a lot of benefit to that. It would be, it would have to be very yeah. specifically curated. Got it. And now because a lot of the one-on-one work I do is actually somatic and and working with the unconscious via something called RIM, which is short for regenerating images and memory. So we actually are able to go back and really remove the anchors and the and the dust and the cobwebs mm. out of what's hiding in the subconscious so that all that can stop holding you back. And it can also help you get out of this repetition of this pattern that, as we talked about earlier, has you feeling so safe. Oh, yeah. It's we need to dig in, into that. Yeah. But m- maybe what we, we do, might be at a time. <laughs> yeah. We're like, I think we should dig into RIM in a part two. Yeah. What's been most helpful for you being here today in the Trauma Hiders Club? It's been the most helpful. You. <laughs> also it's such a treat for me to have to just have this conversation mm. in like I'm feeling a sisterhood here and I don't get that very often and so that's that is like a a soul treat for me yeah really so nice. thank you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to acknowledge your openness your willingness and 
There are things that you shared in this conversation that I have no doubt other people can relate to in some way, maybe not directly, but in some way they will see themselves. So thank you for bringing who you are, your story, and the way that you're healing the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Such a joy. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.